So welcome to the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast, Conrad. It's good to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, thank you for turning up. So uh, your name popped up to me in a couple of different places. So I can't remember what was first. I've got um, listener, listeners won't see this because I don't record video, but we've got Miniature War Games Magazine here, issue 475. Um, and we've also got the star of, is it Alidori or Alador? I've never heard it um, said. I've never heard Joe pronounce it myself. But I would say Alador, you know, but, you know, I I mean, given how reticent he is about giving a canonical um, interpretation of basically anything, uh, I think you could probably do it either way and he won't gainsay it. So, yeah, you you wrote um, a a scenario for Rangers of Shadow Deep, which is something that has attracted me for a while to try, but I've just... uh, that's why I wanted to, I mean, this looks really good and I wanted to talk to you about how you basically did it. Um, and we've also got, uh, I mentioned the, the Miniature War Games magazine, which uh, I've been talking about a lot on the show recently. And mm-hmm. this really cool article that you did about uh, basically playing war games with your twins, who I believe are five, is that right? Six now. Six now. Six She's now. Five time of writing, I guess. Uh, this is but back five in time of writing. November. My daughter would correct you. She is a sophisticated older lady of six now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's you when you start getting so- sold uh, alcohol in Scotland. So oh, you've yeah. got to be clear on these things. I thought um, they sold. I thought they, they, you got it in schools. Yeah, I, th- that replaced the milk. <laughs> so, ah, very good. Very good. So the, this article is brilliant. I mean, again, I, I talk um, now and then on the podcast. So I've got a, a daughter who's 18 months now. She's obviously not quite at the stage where we're getting Warhammer Fantasy Battles out on the table. But um, I thoroughly enjoyed this this article that you put together, Conrad. Um, Wargaming with five-year-olds. And we've got uh, sort of illustrations about what you've done. You talked us through, you know, what kind of games you were playing and the wee rules that came up and stuff like that. So... Um, was this something that uh, I mean what was the genesis of this sort of coming about both in playing it and writing about it um, well there's uh, to answer your second question first um, uh, writing about it well uh, I'm a columnist for miniature war games um, and frankly in that field I'm just a bit of a tart, really, in that if I'll write about, basically I have to produce about 2,000 words a month, um, two to two and a half thousand, and I write about what it is I'm doing in gaming. Now, Mm -hmm. I try to stay away from uh, what I call games with my mates, which is, we ran this game, it was awesome, here's a bunch of pictures, you know? And I try and sort of focus and look at what will the person, you know, the chap at home who, you know, comes home from hard day's work, Minister Williams has landed on the mat. What can you do with this article? Now, I am acutely aware that war games magazines are far more read than played. Uh, so my, my, my criteria for a good article are that firstly, it must be entertaining to read because Many, many more people, and experience is a bitter teacher in the in in this case. Many, many more people will read it than play it. But that there must be something there for the people who actually want to apply what you've talked about. Um, so, f- f- firstly, I needed something to write about. That was what I was doing at the moment. That was what I wrote about. Um, and I will continue doing that for miniature war games until they stop asking me, or I find it boring. Um, and that—that's that, that. So that—that's the second part of your question. The first part: How did it start? Um, two things. I mean, my kids have grown up with war games because I've always been pottering away in the corner painting toy soldiers, or you know, they know that daddy's friends come over sometimes and we play games together, and you know, it became this thing that would what is this? And I want to know what this is. And I think it sort of came to a head during my family's second bout of COVID where we were all locked in together. And um, I was trying to find 
literally anything for the kids to do that didn't involve them sitting in front of a screen. Mm. Um, and they didn't have a huge amount of energy, so we, I couldn't take them out the back garden and run them around. Um, I couldn't, uh, I could have lumped them in front of a telly, but we were doing that already. So I had a game called Red Alert by Richard Borg, which is in the Command and Colour series, which is a spaceship game. And I'm, I'm ashamed to say I've never actually played Red Alert straight, but I'd opened it up and had a look at it when the Kickstarter arrived. And uh, I think COVID probably had a certain amount to do with that. But uh, I knew I had a mat, this sort of um, fleece spaceship uh, space mat, and I had a bunch of um, these little green and red plastic spaceships. And the kids are very interested in space. So, you know, we've learned no songs about the solar system and, you know, sort of how far away is the moon and questions like that. So they're interested in space. So I laid this out on the kitchen table. I put the mat down and I said, right, here are some plastic tokens that we had from another game. And you can flick them like sort of tiddlywink type jobs um, across the board. I'm going to take the red spaceships. You two are going to take the green spaceships and we're going to flick the, you can move, there's a hex pattern on the, on the mat. You can move uh, each spaceship two spaces and you can shoot three shots from any spaceship that you want. So you have three shots total. Um, and I think they were about two and a half, maybe three. Am I? No, no, I'm not. Sorry, four. They would have been four when we did this. And they grasped it pretty quickly. Um, and so long as you kept it short and you cut your cloth to fit your measure, I mean, pulling out advanced squad leader was never on the cards, but they could grasp, I know what this is. I know it's a spaceship. It looks like a spaceship. That, that's it. And we would happily pull that out, play a game and put it away. And that would be 20 minutes well spent. And, you know, there was at the risk of sounding frightfully, you know, um, middle class about the whole thing they learned some turn taking they learned counting you know they they you know found had to had to sort of work out what was the best way to flick their their tokens across the thing to hit the spaceship and because i generally play two on one they learned a little bit of teamwork um which uh you know they have been happily ganging up on me ever since um, both in games and in life. But uh, yeah, so that's where it started. And then everything else sort of grew from that. Mm. Yeah, so in, in the sort of piece that you cover in the, the article, I mean, you've got some great photos that you've taken here. We've got a we've got a hex-based uh, board and it was the, the little sort of red coat um, toys that you were using, wasn't it, for this one? So yeah. Um, do you think that's a? I mean, I, I know with these articles, you're not dictating to the reader what they should do. You're you're providing suggestions, aren't you? And and when you talk about you know using these these toys, do you think that's appealing because these are maybe things that the, the kids are playing with already? They're already quite familiar with them. Or? Yes. Oh no. I mean, the the you you have to sort of bring it to them, and sort of find something because. I knew that if I gave them a bunch of my 20 mil tanks, my 20 mil tanks would not be long for this world. So that, that was that, 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 that was a factor. So I used things that they already played with and that they already had some experience with. Um, so um, the Playmobil toys were actually a gift from a, a very kind friend of mine who'd been playing, who'd been trying to play Little Wars with them with his own kids and they hadn't really taken to it and he was moving house and he, I think he just wanted to, 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 to move them on. So that was something that was, uh, that, that sort of fell into my lap there. But ultimately you don't need that much stuff. I mean, give a kid a stick, he'll play a game with it. It's, it's, it's not, you know, my daughter will turn, you know, you give her a box and a piece of fabric and I, you know, by the God that made me, 30 seconds later, a tea party will have been organized. You know, <laughs> it's you, 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 you find the things that interest them and you sort of pull it into that. I mean, 
the only thing that I bought for the first game was that I know that I, I had a collection of Playmobil figures which had virtually no female figures in them. And uh, I reckoned that my daughter would probably lose interest if there wasn't something for her to do and in that respect. So I had I went to look and looked on our local adverts website and various people were flogging Playmobil or Duplo or whatever. Um, and, you know, I put a few bids in, picked up a couple of princesses for a tenner, and went, excellent, we're away to the races. Um, so, so far as she was concerned, the game was, you know, making sure the princess got away safe and that, um, you know, she could order these little guys around. And so far as my son was concerned, there was a certain amount of messing around with the redcoats, but the main thrust of the game, so far as he was concerned, was shooting the toy cannon. Um, and that, you know, that was one of our first, and we've played that sort of thing a couple of times. Um, I mean, and if you give them the material, they will make it their own. I mean, I think I mentioned in the article when we started off that I had... This whole idea that we were going to, I had a, a like a toy wagon and they were going to escort the wagon across the, the board and, uh, or something similar. And in between me, I don't know, running upstairs to get something or answer a question for my wife or whatever, the kids had already taken a look at the board, gone, yeah, that's boring. And Tilly had discovered that, oh yeah, there's princesses here. So she went and she'd gone and she'd found another princess figure and went, well, there's two princesses and they're both in this house and the bad guys are coming to kidnap them. And I went, fine, of course. Of mm. course, that's what this game is about. Um, and we ran with that. So, yeah, I, I mean, if they show, because I mean, I don't know if you've any, I've a, a little... Um, experience of trying to sort of give talks to teenagers uh, or younger kids and you know getting that initial icebreaker is the hard bit if you can get them to buy in at all you can keep that momentum going so i mean i would say find whatever is lying around if your kid likes dinosaurs go with a game about dinosaurs if you like if she likes princesses make a game about princesses and um, mm. you know that's the that's the thing and keep like youtube is an absolute um gold mine of if you want to like i googled just had a look on youtube and had a look at some um board game reviews and people were talking about oh well this simple kids game uses these mechanics and i went excellent steal those go um you know and everything else was just a few index cards and a black marker yeah i mean i i like the sort of the ethos that you were talking about here was like you're just saying they're kind of meeting them on their own terms and, and being able to adapt as well to yeah. you know if they've like you've explained there if they change direction with something you go with it rather than uh, trying to fight against it and yeah. just um I mean, the, the kids' attention spans are so short, aren't they? So were you aware any time that um, attention was starting to drift and you could then step in and try and uh, pull them back in sort of thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I had, um, uh, the, the you know, I, I had, you know, the, ba the baddies sort of played to the extent that I wanted them to play. Like, I've gotten very good and shooting the toy cannon so that it knocks down one soldier, which gives them enough of a fright that uh, they go, oh, oh, God, the baddies are coming. We have to do something about this. But not so much the, oh, God, we've, you know, he's just taken out four of our guys. Um, we can't win. Let's give up and run away. Um, yeah. You know, like, for example, um, the second game, which was sort of, kind of more a board game kind of thing than let's say a war game was um, I had a toy dragon and I had a toy dragon because 
uh, I think my sister-in-law had given them this bubble bath and it came in a bottle shaped like a dragon. So I took the, the knob off the front. Excellent. Dragon monster. Perfect. So he would get up and roar and blow smoke and, you know, do things while they were running around trying to collect all the, 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 the sort of the three things that they had to collect to, to defeat him. Um, so, you know, I would say that if you are putting a game like this together and particularly for young kids, like I'll play more structured games with the kids. Like we play Ticket to Ride and we play um, Labyrinth and we play Carcass- Junior Carcassonne and mm. a couple of other board games like that and Ludo because my mother apparently hates me and gave them a Ludo set for Christmas. And my God, I've forgotten how much I despise that game. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, so I always play those straight because they're a sealed system and you don't want them to, to but with toy soldiers or toy dragons or, you know, um, bubble bath monsters, um, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to, to cheat like Billio on the, games master slash opponent side to just give them an exciting time because that that that's all I want. That, that I I want them to play this and have fun and uh you know and, and have good memories of that. And just particularly at a time when we couldn't leave the house very much that this was something real that you could hold. Yeah, yeah. I no, I mean, you, you, when you've done something like that, I mean, particularly with, with your own kids, I'd imagine there, there'll be a rewarding feeling after it, whereas you compare that to we've just sat on the computer for two hours. You don't come away from that thinking, you know what, that was great. I really loved being on the computer for two hours. Yeah. Um, at, at least that's certainly not the way I look at it. So um, one of the things I really enjoyed, I was rereading your article last night, you had a wee bit just joking about like rules lawyers so I believe it was your daughter had uh, been told that you could deploy the spaceships anywhere on the table, and I think she'd went underneath the table. One of the, was it one of the table supports and put the spaceships there, so they were basically couldn't be hit um, because th- that was in the rules. <laughs> yeah, I'm raising a tiny lawyer. It seems you know she's that that does that. There is a barrister in there. God help us all. Um, I, I mean, hopefully not. There's the special schools. There's still hope for her, but <laughs> you know, uh, she may. Um, but yeah, the, the the rules lawyering has been although, but that's that that's kids. I mean, I told my son that he couldn't shoot his crossbow in the in the kitchen because my wife has these plates hung on the walls. People talk about you know the dangers of exposing your children to violent media. Uh, I read my son the Ladybird book of William Tell, mm-hmm. and uh, my father-in-law produced this toy crossbow uh, a, a, a couple of months later. And yeah, the <laughs> and, is it one with like the red sticky thing on it, the the sucker? Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I told him no shooting that in the kitchen, right? So there I was making breakfast. Uh, 40-something fat dad in his, in his dressing gown sort of trying to get porridge and cereal and stuff together in, in, in the kitchen. And suddenly this arrow quizzes past my ear and I turn around and go, bear! I uh, goes, what? I went, no, shooting this in the kitchen. And Ted, he, he's just standing there in the hall going, I'm not in the kitchen. I shot into the kitchen, but I wasn't in there. Clearly, um, but that's you know that that's 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 kids for you. But yeah, the she she had worked out how how to uh, how to game that, and we said, okay, well, no, they they have to be on top of the table, on top of the mat. Can I put them <laughs> on, on the table but underneath the mat? No. <laughs> I know it's it's great stuff. Um, it's one of my favourite articles that I've read in the the magazine uh, since I've been subscribed to. It. And you're saying that I mean I've seen your name in bits and pieces of other stuff. So you're writing yeah. every edition for the the magazine. Yeah. is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. I I that started off purely because I used to write for Battle Games, 
Actually, no. The the actually it was a fellow Scott who gave a, a countryman of yours who who gave me. Um, he used to run a magazine called the Classic Wargaming Journal or the Classic Wargamers Journal, and it was this little photocopy thing. You know, it was it was lovely. It was a it was all heart. You know, there was anyone who was involved in this was for the love. And I used to write this sort of odd color piece for them, like. Um, sort of silly stories about wargaming about and it was just sort of 500 words on you know uh, a friend of mine who's um uh, had a horrible prank played on him which was he is profoundly colorblind and some of the lads at a house party went up to his room and switched around some of the labels on his paint pots with the result that he produced this gene stealer army and they were in I have no I, I have no idea how his vision works, but he had thought he painted these guys in red and blue and purples, and they came out in this sort of mustard and yellow, and, mm. they, and they looked like traffic wardens. <laughs> and after about two weeks at the club, someone had to tell him, and apparently that person was me, you know, so I just sort of pushed out to the front, and it was like, Conrad, you tell him. Um and uh, yeah, he did not take that well at all. Uh, you know, so I ended up writing like little stories like that. Like, for example, I was in work one day and I was reading, I think it was War Games Illustrated or something like that. And one of my colleagues sort of leaned over, had a look and went, what's that? And I said, well, you know, I play games with toy soldiers every so often pretend to be Napoleon. And um, the guy sort of looked at me over his glasses and went, oh, yeah, OK, well, you know, at weekends. I dress up as a lady, you know? So, <laughs> I hadn't quite realized that these were apparently on the same level of disclosure. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was banging out little pieces like that. And then um, I sent Henry something uh, for for battle games. And then I sent him another thing because he liked one and he said, oh, can I have another? So I, I think actually, no, someone had let him down. And he went, I know you do a bit of writing. Would you be able to produce something? And I did. And he liked it. Uh, and one thing came to another. And then eventually it was, would you like to do a column? Uh, and that was, and that sort of grown. It used to be sort of a thousand words on whatever is exercising you at the moment. And I always tried to make it sort of vaguely applicable, you know, sort of. Here is some thing, you know. Here is some stuff that I, you know, if if I could have a time traveling machine and give my teenage self some more gaming advice, this is what that advice would be. Or um, here is, uh, you know, if you want to use armies across periods, here is here are some things you could do where you could get maybe more game for your figures, so to speak. So mm. you know, if you've got red coated British for the Napoleonic period, you can bring those guys forward almost to the 1840s and back a bit, you know, that sort of that sort of thing. And then, you know, I got asked to write a few more scenarios and now I mostly do a mixture of scenarios. I try to keep the think pieces to about one in three because, you know, uh, everyone has an opinion and mine is no more well-informed than anybody else's. So um, uh, the odd interview, I mean, one of the extra, I did a, I did an interview recently with a fellow called Mark Fastoso because um, I had, my wife had given me a couple of his scenario books for Christmas and I'd read them and just went, these are cracking. Um, and uh, I, sort of sent him an email and just said really enjoyed your work thank you very much by the way um if you ever feel like doing an interview i'd be delighted to talk to you because you've just written so many scenarios and they're so good you know what's what's the secret sauce um and uh, i got talking to the chap and he did an interview and i was very pleased with it but um uh i asked him you know what do you do for a living? And he went, oh, I work in because i sort of done a bit of background reading on the guy and so went, oh you, you work you work in tv um, how did you get started in that? He went, well, I, I ended up as an assistant on this thing. You probably haven't heard of it. Um, working for this guy called Ken Burns. 
that that man ended that man started working on the American Civil War with the producer and director of that Ken Burns, a guy who's got, since gone on to do uh, Vietnam, uh, a history of jazz, like extraordinary stuff, and he just threw it off like it was nothing. I was I was flat. My gast was flabbered, um, <laughs> and uh, you know you meet these extraordinary people who do extraordinary things, and we're all sort of bound together by the the sort of the Freemasonry of toy soldiers, um, <laughs> which is a, a wonderful thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's tremendous. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've like, I have traveled or had people come visit me and with, you know, pretty much to a man, they've, they've all proved to be, you know, wonderful people. And, you know, my, my wife occasionally refers to, ah, one of your internet axe murderer friends is coming to stay. <laughs> I was sort of go, he, he, collect, he collects Peninsula War British. Well, you know, he can't be a bad man. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> getting pulled over by the police and you've got drink on your breath, but somebody you've just had a game of Blood Bowl with, so you'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, speaking of scenarios, then Rangers of mm-hmm. Shadow Deep, that one of your that one of your favourite games, given that you, you wrote a scenario for it. Or I've written a few scenarios for Rangers and a few for Stargrave, and this is this is one of the weirder things that has happened because I'm up until relatively recently, I was a dyed in the wool historicals man. I played Napoleonics, I played Colonials, I played World War II, um, bit of Zulu War, um, the Sudan, Sikh Wars, uh, you know, other stuff. And I had, I played Warhammer as a youngster, um, but sort of fallen out of love with it in my early 20s and then sort of uh, played other things. And I was listening to a podcast about... Uh, solo wargaming and uh, Joe McCullough was on it and he was talking about how well he was talking about Rangers of Shadowdeep as it's, as it's a solo game or you can play it as a solo I mostly play it as a cooperative game but be that as it may um, and he sort of went well you know this is only really possible with fantasy or science fiction war games because, you know, solo wargaming is very much about story and historical wargamers aren't really interested in that. And it's not really possible in, in historical wargames. And I became so annoyed by that. <laughs> I wrote a two-part column, something like nearly 6,000 words about, uh, you know, um, Joe McCullough was a fat-headed idiot, and uh, you know, <laughs> here, here are here are a bunch of solo war, historical war games, not like that I've written, and here are a bunch of other ones that other people have written, and this is nothing but baloney. But I thought, in fairness to the man, I should I should get one of his games to have because I've been sort of vaguely aware of Frostgrave, mm. um, but I went okay, this game Rangers Shadowdeep. I'm going to pick it up and have a look at it um, because, you know, you've got to judge the man on his things. And it turned out it was rather good. <laughs> and I went, oh, I can pick up a few figures too, you know. And the other thing is died in the wool historicals and died in the wool 172nd man. You know, I, I collected 20 mil stuff because 28 mil from the storage perspective was just, just awkward. And, I picked up a few figures for Rangers and I gave a game of Rangers a play. And my one of my regular uh, partners in crime, Savage, and I tried out Rangers and we went, this, this, this isn't half bad. And then we played some more of it. And more 28 mil figures kept arriving at my house and more Rangers supplements kept arriving at my house. And here we are several years later and I have, you know, three Citadel cases full of giant spiders and gnolls and skeletons and other nonsense. And uh, yeah, it's it's a tremendous game. I adore it. 
uh, it sort of hit that sweet spot of it's complex and there's enough complexity in it to keep you interested, but it plays quickly. Uh, I love the, the the way the damage and to hit go together. I just think that's that's so elegant. I think it's it's so good. Um, I think Joe's hit on a really clever way of of putting together solo scenarios where none of the scenarios in themselves are particularly complex, but it's the fact that okay, well, in this scenario, these special rules apply, but there's never that many of them, and they're they're really clever. I mean, I think it's it's a it's a system I have stolen repeatedly for solo scenarios in miniature war games. I've I've applied it to Black Ops by um, Guy Bowers, which is a, an absolutely fantastic uh, modern skirmish game. Although I've used it mainly for World War Two and Cold War, uh, uh, I've I've adapted it to the Men Who Would Be Kings, uh, which is uh, the or at least the event phase. It had Men Who Would Be Kings as its own solo component, but um, I love it. I find I've sort of I've enjoyed the setting. I've enjoyed the rules. I think there's, uh, and I apparently keep buying books by Joe McCullough uh, because, uh, you know, the, the chap is quality. He, he writes really good stuff. And even, like, I even picked up that, that ridiculous Thousand Mutations book um, because <laughs> I just went, well, it's, you know, I don't play Frostgrave, but I I have Frostgrave and I have a couple of the supplements mainly to rip off ideas for Rangers games mm, um, mm. because it's eminently the ideas are eminently portable between the 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 um, between the the sort of the family of games. Like I've had, uh, I I stole some of the kids toy dinosaurs and uh had a solo game of playing um uh you know dinosaur hunting on an alien planet in stargrave uh Mm. which did not end well we ended up all all my guys ended up inside a tyrannosaurus um but uh the um but yeah it's it's just a, a a really solid game which I keep on telling myself, yeah, I'm just going to start to stretch it a little bit and turn it more into an RPG. And it's sort of, there's enough there that if you're playing with other people, obviously less so if you're playing solo, that you can have that, the the RPG elements emerge. It's a bit like Necromunda in that respect. Um, I don't know if you've, have you played much Necromunda? I've never actually played it, but I know it quite well um, as a concept. Hmm. But that idea of the small skirmish game where each game isn't particularly long, mm. but a narrative emerges and people will push us, put story on that. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the genius of Rangers so far as I'm concerned. Did you know that just like every other podcast out there, this show has its very own Patreon, but this is no ordinary Patreon. It's actually the worst Patreon ever. That's right, there's no rewards, no extras, no bonus content, no early access, no shout-outs and no thank-yous. I'll just take the money and quietly get on with making the show. Not that there's any money to take because hardly anyone's pledging to the thing. Like I say, it's the worst Patreon ever. Find it at bedroombattlefields.com slash worst Patreon ever. That's all one word, worst Patreon ever. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've been playing it, my pal Robert and I, we've played a lot of scenarios, um, and it's that continuity of the characters, it's the, you know, this is the guy who's always doing this, this is the, yeah. you know, this person always fails their roles, It's the, you build up that good story, so that when you sit down to do the next one, you're thinking, what's he going to get up to this time, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I just, I love the, the storytelling aspect of it, and I, I'm really intrigued to try your one. I've actually got the, so the the um scenario is it healing the sick was that what it was called to help the sick yeah, to heal the sick um so I, I actually yeah i actually have the miniatures that you talked about that were partly the inspiration behind it i think it was the war yeah. games foundry plague doctors mm-hmm. so i've actually 
got those guys. So I like the, the we we've not long played Blood Moon. I don't know if you've played Blood Moon before. Yeah. So it has Great again scenario. we've got this we've got this who done it kinda yeah. angle as well, which I like. So literally unmasking the baddie at some point. Yeah. Um so like what what was your process for actually doing this? Um and how did you kind of go about like was there a lot of playtesting involved to, to get to the stage where you thought you know, this is playable because one of my biggest fears to write a scenario is that the characters are either going to just steamroller all the baddies or we're going to be dead in a turn because I'm not experienced in that sort of thing at all. So, um, well, I think um, to write a good scenario, you need to have a rigorous, well thought out, a profound understanding of the rules. All the figures have to be painted and ready, and uh, a sort of a a a, a sort of um, monk like sort of focus on engaging with the story and the mechanics of the game. And once you've worked out how to do that, you should tell me how, because what <laughs> I tend to do <laughs> is just uh, like I'll see something. And in this case, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll focus on the particular here for a second because it's always a chaotic, messy process. It's a bit like cooking without a recipe book, but you're sort of like my wife is lethal for this. So she, you'll, you'll, she'll get a recipe book and it'll go uh, 300, you know, sort of four ounces of this. And she'll sort of pick up a scoop and go about that. Um, and it's very... So it's it's very much like that. So uh, the 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 analogy, actually, the best analogy I can think of, it's a bit like throwing a pot. You get the wheel spinning, and you have to start. And the first thing you do is you pick up your clay and you chuck it on the wheel, and the wheel starts spinning like billio. And you sort of you can guide it where you want to go, but you it's it's almost impossible to exact you know sort of I've I have never in my life managed to get a scenario right first time uh, mm. and I'm someone who I probably write five to six scenarios a year most of which are for the magazine but some are for my friends or whatever um, and you get better at it and the the trick that I find is start now and make the mistakes quickly so if you think that something isn't going to work, try it and find out. And and messing around solo is as a huge part to do to, to to do with this sort of make those mistakes before you expose it to other people. Um, but with to with to heal the sick, the inspiration for that was I saw those foundry figures and I loved them so much. I just went, I have to. Well, firstly, I have to buy these, um, because. You know, I'm a deranged addict. Um, and secondly, I have to have a... If I, if I am going to buy these, I'm going to have to have a game in which I can use them. Mm -hmm. And what, you know, what, what, what... So I was sort of trying to think about, okay, well... And then, obviously, COVID uh, leapt to mind. So I went, okay, Plague Doctors, um, there is a plague. And... I, I've never managed to do this, um, and I, I here here's an example of an idea that didn't work. Um, I wanted to have, and I think it's something that Rangers lacks, and I'm currently trying to write something that will, uh, that will manage this. Rangers lacks recurring villains. Mm -hmm. You know, every scenario that we've had, the bad guy appears. And the Rangers either lose and are wiped out or kill the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And I think that it would be a really wonderful thing to, 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 to have that. I didn't manage to do it to heal the sick. But what I wanted to do was have that whodunit thing that was in uh, Blood Moon, which I think is one of the simplest but, mo but cleverest pieces of war games writing I've read in the last few years. It's really sharp. Uh, it builds narrative into the game. The game still works. It's you know, there's no sort of hand waving. You that th there's uh, you don't have to 
you don't need an umpire or a GM to sort of to add that. And in to heal, so just for your listeners, if you if they haven't, uh, if they're not familiar with to heal the sick, the the idea for to heal the sick is the players know that there is a traitor in the kingdom of Alador. Uh, they have. They, there's a man who knows the information as to who the traitor is. He lives in this village. They have to get to the village and they have to find the guy and he's going to give them the name of the traitor. They arrive. Uh, the village is deserted. There are crows everywhere and there are sick people everywhere. So a plague has struck this village and there are plague doctors moving around the village, sort of carting away bodies, trying to help sick people, and, and, and so on. And what is actually happening uh, is that there are two baddies who are in the um, who are in the, uh, the the pay of the Shadow Deep who have discovered that this information is leaked, and they're trying to find the contact and kill him before the players can find him. And the players have to explore the village, uh, gather evidence to work out which of the plague doctors is are actually the baddies and uh, then find the information that they need to find. So it's a race against time. The, uh, the, the, the two things that sort of stood out to me about that scenario was firstly, I stole the investigation mechanic whole cloth from blood moon. Okay. That is apps stolen lock, stock and barrel uh, from blood moon, because if it's simple and it works, why wouldn't you take it? You know, absolutely. It, it, you'd be a fool not to. But I wanted something. Um, I wanted a sense of dread, um, because one of the one of the joys of Rangers is because it uses a D twenty is that it's quite swingy. So you're either up or you're down. You're 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 getting hammered, or you know you're laying waste all around you. There's very rarely. Uh, sort of, oh, I think we might just swing this. It's very rarely in that sort of happy medium. And the number of games Savage and I have played where, you know, we're going, oh, well, you know, it's two turns to go. We've got this in the bag. And then that one comes up or that 20 comes up and it's, oh, so God. the fly is battering you. <laughs> ah! oh, just pat. Or what was that one in, in uh, Burning Light? Just pass a bloody swimming roll, man. Just pass a bloody swimming roll. Um, and, you know, it's all hands to the pumps. And can we pull this off? And Yay, we pulled it off. Hooray. Um, and the, the, the sort of the mechanic that I wanted for to heal the sick was that you have a sense of urgency because every turn that you, you stay on the board you're adding a number of skeletons or zombies to the outside of the board. And those guys, you don't have to fight those guys right now, but they're waiting. And there's more of them and more of them sort of closing in on you. Um, because, you know, at some point, you're going to unmask the bad guy, and then all these guys come on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's proved quite successful. Uh, the The... The two major changes that I recall uh, going to that game were firstly, I put some wolves on the board at the beginning. That was a suggestion from Joe because he had he he had a look at it and went, there's nothing for the players there to do other than run around. Like, they can run around the board and gather clues, but there's nothing else going on while they're doing that. <sighs> so we put in a couple of feral wolves who are obviously sort of harassing the, the poor plague ridden villagers. Um, and that, that actually it sort of changed the tone of the game. And secondly, the undead in that particular game, because I called them undead because I, I wanted you to be able to use your ghouls, your zombies, your skeletons. It doesn't matter what figures you have, just so long as they're, undead you can use these guys um and what happened was that i had been using skeletons and zombies and ghouls and things and they were too tough uh, to have the numbers that i wanted to have that feeling of being encroached upon the players didn't have the combat power to knock them down mm-hmm. you know because i think a zombie has like 
10 hit points or something like that. And that's an average character is probably going to have to hit him twice to put him down. Uh, and it meant that instead of being a sort of a desperate race against time, it was like a slog. Um, so I changed the uh, the mechanics so that each each undead only had one hit point. So that you only had to damage them once to put them down. But there would always be more to take their place. So it, it was sort of killing the undead was not really the the challenge. Uh, they were almost more of an environmental hazard than a, a sort of an enemy because, okay, yeah, any individual one of these guys is not a problem. It's the fact that there's maybe three or four of them coming at you. That's, that's the problem. And mm. there will always be more. So long as you remain on the board, once they've started coming onto the board, they're going to keep coming. So you need a plan to get the, the, to find the information and then get that information off the board. And that's the game. So, yeah, that, it, it took a bit of playtesting, um, most of which was done solo. Um, and then a couple of times with, with, with long-suffering friends of mine. Um, but start, that, that's, that, that's what I'd say. If you're, if you're interested in writing a scenario, work out what it is that you want to do with this. Why is this different from all the other ones that, because, you know, I can, I can pick up any wargaming book written in the last 20 years and there will be an attack defense scenario there. There will be mm. a wagon train scenario and maybe a, 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 a bridge defense or taking a bridge or blowing up a bridge or something like that. And if you want to do that, maybe you should try and work out some way, like why is this one different? Um, why is your scenario worth pursuing rather than somebody else's? And and then start because even and it's it's uh, uh, I won't name any names, but I've definitely I was talking to John Sutherland, who is also a, a regular contributor to Miniature War Games, and we were talking about uh, some material that we'd read, uh, not just in Miniature War Games, but also in other magazines, and we just sort of looked at what he hasn't played that. There's no way he's played that, you know, because I could tell just by looking at the board I went that's eight turns you've got to get this unit across the board you can't do it you know there's no like you learn if you write enough of these things that that that, that you know the stuff to look for but and it is a thing that I can't and I've been doing this for 10 years now um it stands out to me that there is no substitute for putting the figures on the board and trying to game it out yourself mm. um, and and spotting that stuff quickly. Like uh, last month, I did a scenario for Xenos Rampant, the Dan Mersey sci-fi game. And I thought I had fixed the... I, I, I did a version of the old Rogue Trader battle at the farm um, scenario and I thought I'd fixed it because that was a scenario that I sort of struggled with as a youngster and could never never really got it to where I ne ne didn't know what was going wrong as a kid and then just went yeah well this is a scenario where the marines are in a defended position in the or and a smaller number of orcs are shambling towards them getting riddled and I went, okay, well, we apparently it's early morning. There's early morning mist. So I'm going to make, effectively give the orcs cover in terms of mist. And that was what turned that game into from a shooting gallery into, okay, well, maybe there's a ta tactical problem here. Um, but to do that took me about an hour and a half because I just kept setting the figures up and going, right, well, if I was the orcs, this is what I'd do. And how would the Marines react to that? So, uh, and then just went, there is no way. There, the Orc player just doesn't have options here. Um, so yeah, the, 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 the best time to start is now. Um, 
and don't worry about messing it up because you're going to mess it up to just sort of accept that and try and get to those failures as quickly as possible um mm. and you will get a sense of it but yeah that that that's it and i'm i'm acutely aware like i'm, I'm working on a on another piece for rangers right now and it is over a year and because i don't have a deadline i'm sort of tinkering with things and messing around in the edges of bits and going mm, yeah i'm not sure if this works and yeah, no, I'm, I'm, at some point I'm just going to have to hold a gun to my own head and get it on the board uh, because I've gotten, out of three scenarios, I've got one play tested to an extent that I'm happy with it and then the other two are just nonsense. I've, you know, they're words on a page, they're not a game. Mm-hmm. How did it come about then that To Heal the Sick um, was included in the fanzine? Did did Joe reach out to you about that? Or like, what was the story behind that? Uh, no, I just wrote to him and said, listen, uh, big fan, really enjoyed your work. Um, and we just got to chatting because I'd written a scenario for Rangers. Uh, a friend of mine had given me some of these wonderful uh, frog figures with blowpipes and and things and written a scenario i went look at these delightful little fellas i need i need a game for these guys so i just i created this a ranger scenario for it i sent it to him he was like that's great thank you very much and just got to talking and then he went listen we're putting this thing together would you be interested in doing something i went sure yeah absolutely uh no more sort of structured or uh mysterious than that really um did you ever pull them up on the the time he upset you back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, McCullough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, he's he's a decent skin. Good stuff, Conrad. We're we're uh, fast running out of time here, but uh, you know we've talked about various things that you've been writing over the years. I just wanted to ask you. you you've actually put one of these mystical book things together as well, I believe. Oh, I did. Yeah, I, I just forgot about that. Um, I have a novel which is called The Fox Wife's Tale. Um, it is uh, a um, it's on Amazon. It's on you can get it on Kindle uh, for the uh, the cost of a cup of coffee. You can uh, you can get it in hard copy for uh, the price of two pints, and um, it's on Amazon. And uh, it is a Adventure story about a uh, a about Japan in the eighteen fifties, where this American chap goes to um, goes to Japan and has adventures, and it's got chases and sword fights and and mysteries and uh, and samurai and all the things that I like. Um, uh, and uh, if you or your listeners fancy uh, having a go at that, you will find it uh, on uh, on Amazon and on the Kindle store. And uh, I, I hope you enjoy it. Mm-hmm.